NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Welcome all to this special production of the National Writing Project. We're really excited about this feature series of NWP Radio called The Story of the Poem, where I have a chance to talk to poets about being a poet, the story behind the poem, and a craft feature of a poem that they share. Each episode will end with an opportunity to give it a go. In other words, an invitation to craft a poem or a few lines or use a technique that the poet has highlighted. We hope these writing invitations will spur you to start or keep on writing after the episode or give you something new to try in your classroom. I'm Tanya Baker, the Director of National Programs at the National Writing Project, and for each episode I'll have the honor and the pleasure of welcoming our guests and our listeners and viewers to spend a few minutes diving deep into poetry. Today's guest is um, a, a person I consider an excellent friend and colleague, Shirley McPhillips. Uh, Shirley was is the Poet Laureate for Choice Literacy and the author of Acrylic Angel of Fate, Poem Central, Word Journeys with Readers and Writers, and with Nick Flynn, A Note Slipped Under the Door, Teaching from Poems We Love. Uh, poems are in, included in, her poems are included in publications such as Sewanee Review, Journal of New Jersey Poets, More Poems for the Delusional, Allegro Adagio, and her poetry was honored at the Artists' Embassy International Dancing Poetry Festival in San Francisco. Woo, that's where I live, San Francisco, California. I have had the honor of interviewing Shirley before about her book, Poem Central, and um, it started a fast friendship where we share poems and other beautiful things in the world. And I'm so happy to see you again, Shirley. Um, we thought we'd start by you sharing a poem. I think you brought an uncommon education and I'm wondering if you wanna just start by reading it for us. Thank you, Tanya. It's lovely to see you again and to be here, especially to honor poetry uh, and the word. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll read the poem. An uncommon education. Some harvest mice like to fall asleep in tulip petals. Inside rough patches of early spring, as clouds cobble the yard, a tiny pulse older than the moon aches for something new. To sit in a dish of pollen, nuzzle the stamens, feel the snuggle of the yellow folds close in against his cheeks. Whiskers encrusted with golden beads of nectar and rainwater. Small mirrors of sunlight and stars. Hidden from itself, it is the face of a flower, a fleeting moment when secrets are not afraid and seeds of love rise on a light wind. Lovely, thank you. Can you tell us what the story of this poem? How did it come to be? Well, you know, um, I think all writers are expected, expecting to write. So we're kind of always so alert to surprises and finding things intriguing and, um, and, and often making some kind of personal connection with that. And so 
I just, in the dark of the winter, I was reading uh, an article online. Uh, uh, what struck me was I, I first saw this photograph, the one you just had on the screen, mm -hmm. um, of a, a big tulip and in the middle was this tiny little creature. <laughs> and, I just couldn't stop looking at it. It looked, it, it was so interesting and so pure and so sweet. I just, anyway, I um, I read the article and I, I found out that um, uh, it was telling about a British photographer who had a studio and a lot of acreage and um, he uh, was giving workshops to um, young people who wanted to be photographers and they were learning to photograph animals this is a very special thing to do because it takes great skill to to photograph animals they're interesting but their their actions how they move you know how they move how they react to things it just uh and and to photograph well that's what he was teaching them so they discovered these little harvest mice who were uh, curling up in the middle of flowers, especially tulips, and they were peeking out and and loving to be in there in the flowers. Just <laughs> and so, if you go on the internet, you can find hundreds of these photographs now, and just one is more interesting than the other, but. I was so intrigued with this that I thought, I, I, I'm intrigued with that image, but I want to see about the words. I want to see if I can translate this to the words. And also, I made a, a real personal connection with it because it was during the middle of the pandemic. And I, I often felt like I, I want to be enclosed in a flower. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe a tulip, maybe something else, but uh, just that feeling. So that's sort of how I came about being interested in writing about it. I love that. This is the second, you are the second poet who, um, in the series, in this series, who's talked about a kind of um, a research component to writing poems. And I think a lot of times what young people are exposed to in school when they do poetry writing is a kind of write what you know or write about your feelings and this idea that you could be uh, captured by something you don't know about and then learn about it and then write about it is part of the a part of a poetry writing process I think could be really opening to young people. Mm -hmm. Well uh, really um, it is about feelings but it's not about writing about feelings it's about feeling. And, right. Uh, <laughs> and so, um, you know, to write about how something's affecting you. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I, actually a lot of writers, when you think about it, do research because anybody who writes about a person in their family, family members, or if they're writing about someone in history as a center, or if they're writing about coming, writing something off an event, Right. Uh, an experience. Sometimes you have to go and sort of immerse yourself a little bit in that or to interview somebody and find out yeah. some things because that's where the information comes from uh, and the feeling comes from. You, you're, you begin to, to feel close to this topic. 
Um, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of Natasha Trezaway and all her work over the few years that she has done and, and immense research. I just um, read something by her recently, like last week. Yeah. Uh, yes. And so, uh, so and to me, that's the interesting part because I like learning things new that I didn't, I like to feel uh, that, that I'm finding out something and it opens my eyes and makes me enthusiastic about, I get, I start building a little passion about it. And that's, then you write out of that. So, yeah. I like research. that. Yeah, <laughs> research. Um, now that we've heard how you came to be writing this poem, could you read it for us again so we can just hear it with that new information? An uncommon education. Some harvest mice like to fall asleep in tulip petals. Inside rough patches of early spring, as clouds cobbled the yard, a tiny pulse older than the moon aches for something new. To sit in a dish of pollen, nuzzle the stamens, feel the snuggle of yellow folds close in against its cheeks. Whiskers encrusted with golden beads of nectar and rainwater, small mirrors of sunlight and stars. Hidden from itself, it is the face of a flower, a fleeting moment when secrets are not afraid and seeds of love rise on a light wind. Yeah, I'm really captured in this reading by two things. One is how you do kind of um, help me imagine what it might feel like to be that mouse snuggled into the flower, but also what we, what I might be desiring as comfort at this moment and how you've used this image to help me think about that. So, um, Shirley, one of the things we're asking people on this show is how do you think, what might a new poet learn from the way that you put this poem together? What, what, is, the, what is a craft lesson that we might take from looking at this poem and how you put it together? Well, I think in this uh, poem and in a lot of my poems, I, my poems uh, tend to be carried on sound. I'm attuned to sound, to the music of language. And I think I got that growing up with music, actually. Mm. And um, there's something about uh, the music that happens when you put certain combinations of words next to one another. And that might not happen if you worded it another way. So a lot of, a lot of writing poems is about word choice. Because we only, we write with, unless we're writing a long saga or something, um, that we're, we're writing with a handful of words. So words have to count. Uh, they, they carry a heavy weight in the poem. Mm -hmm. So you can't be too casual about it. You have to, you're choosing the words. And, and not, not, necessar not in necessarily in drafting uh, at first or putting, you know, getting your thoughts out and, you know, you're not paying so much attention perhaps at that point, but as you go and you keep reading it, and I recommend reading aloud 
quite mm -hmm. often because that way you're hearing the sound and you can, you know, if, when you come become practiced at reading poems or hearing hearing language, uh, you you can sort of, you know, I'm always asking myself, does that sound right? Does does that sound right? or if it doesn't, like it's jarring to me, like it doesn't mm -hmm. sound right, and I know I have to make a word choice, but then what takes me to what choice? Like what choices do I have to make? Yeah. Well, if we if if we're dealing with sound. Um, I'm just going to pick one thing. There's so many things to think about. There's so many tools in the poet's toolbox, but mm -hmm. but uh, I'm just going to talk about alliteration, consonants and assonance, which uh, most of us know about alliteration. We've been taught that since grade school. <laughs> right. The beginning consonants uh, that that of words that are near each other or next to each other. Um, uh, so, like in my poem, uh, clouds cobble, for example, or flower fleeting, those are alliterative. Um, I think that though I want to move it to consonants and assonance, which is consonants is dealing with uh, consonants, but uh, not just a, not just repetition at the beginning, at the initial. Um, parts of the words but moves inside into the interior of words mm -hmm. and across words across lines even across stanzas mm. um, and so you get a repetition of the initial and the interior sounds uh, in this poem uh, sleep tulip petals okay you get the p sound that's an explosive sound but it's at the end the sound at the end of sleep and at the end of tulip, but at the beginning of petals. Mm -hmm. So you're still getting this repetition throughout and not that they're side by side, you know, mm -hmm. they can occur, but that they're there someplace and you begin, it begins to move, move from one to the other with those. And you'll start to hear that. Um, and then assonance is a repetition of the vowel sounds. I notice that I'm not saying the, the the letters I'm saying the sounds because right. certain vowels uh, are spelled different ways so we're not talking about repeating a e i o u we're talking <laughs> about the sounds that vowels make right um, and so if and these don't occur like at the end of lines uh, necessarily I guess they could but uh, they also move into the interior of the lines. Um, and in that case, we call those near rhymes. Um, um, for example, in this poem, yellow folds clothes. Um, I'm, I, I, uh, it, so it says, feel the snuggle of yellow folds close in against his cheeks. So you hear how that O yes. moves right onto the next line. It does indeed. And that, and that makes it flow, that that's, takes it that takes it somewhere and and, it, and if I were to look more it, it could even that that old sound it could even be a flow even further into other stanzas but but right there you can hear it um yeah. also the vowel uh that short vowel it um hidden itself is those are very close together hidden from itself it is the face hear that yeah. so that's so that 
short I sound, uh, sort of moving that line along. Um, also fleeting uh, secrets, a flower, a fleeting moment when secrets, fleeting moment when secrets, that repetition of that long E yeah. uh, sound. So those are, those are some of the examples. And if I didn't, if I wasn't aware of it in drafting, I would be as I go along because then I will not like how it sounds and I will look for some consonants or some assonance and I'll do something about it. I'll make a word choice or I'll place it in a certain way. That's very nice, Shirley, thank you. And I think um, one of the most helpful things you might've said is, I make a choice, but how do I make a choice? On what basis? Because uh, I think we say that a lot to kids, like have some, make some word choice. <laughs> like, uh -huh. But, and they say, well, I did make a word choice. I wrote down some words that I chose. Right. <laughs> so this idea that there are frameworks for thinking like a poet that you could um, apply to a draft in progress and ask yourself, is it clunky? What does it sound like? How could I, what tool do I have to improve that sound? That's really lovely. You've pulled out some examples for us, but I would love to ask you to read the poem again so we can hear it all together. Okay. Oh, by the way, the title even has some of this in it, An Uncommon Education. Okay, an common mm, education. Mm. It has they have it has a repetition of the N sounds. And a sound sound letters like L and N and M. They have the, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm moving no, perfect, on. perfect, perfect. <laughs> but, but just to say that um, uh, those sounds are fluid. Um, and L, I, I think I, I remember the quote, a rock is not a stone, which Mary Oliver said, a rock is not a stone. And that's a very helpful, I think students understand this, like rock and stone mean the same thing, but rock, the sounds in that are abrupt and sharp. And so when you say rock, it, it, it comes to, to an end abruptly. Um, when you say stone, you have a breath with the S sound. You have the O, which is elongated slightly. And you have that N, which is, which is not, it's, it's articulated in the na nasal passages, mm -hmm. actually, the N. Mm, know it's not even a sound that you make with your mouth mm. uh in a way uh so um with with those things in mind it, and it's not that you it's not that rock uh, stones a better word than rock that's not the point the point is you have a choice and maybe your poem you had this mood of angularity and abruptness and and sharpness that a rock has and that's a perfect word for what you're doing right that may be a more lyrical word like stone is is appropriate in another tone that you're trying to achieve mm. so an uncommon education some harvest mice like to fall asleep in tulip petals inside rough patches of early spring as clouds cobble the yard, a tiny pulse older than the moon aches for something new. 
to sit in a dish of pollen, nuzzle the stamens, feel the snuggle of yellow folds close in against its cheeks, whiskers encrusted with golden beads of nectar and rainwater, small mirrors of sunlight and stars. Hidden from itself, it is the face of a flower, a fleeting moment when secrets are not afraid and seeds of love rise on a light wind. Hmm. Uh, that, the music of that poem rewards several readings, Shirley, thank you. Um, we are closing the series with an opportunity, a, an invitation or provocation to poets who are listening. What would you like to invite our audience to try? Well, I, I said this before, but I'll say it again. As you draft and revise, and those two things happen at the same time. Some people think that you wait until you get this and then you revise it. Mm -hmm. But actually it's a process of rereading and revising as one goes. Uh, so part of this could would be to read aloud your passage, read aloud your line, line, go up close and read the line and ask yourself, how does this sound? But it can't just be line by line. The line that line moves into another line, another line it makes a stanza. So you have to some point read the whole stanza and see how it feels together, et cetera. So you're constantly, you're doing this at different phases. And also from what we were talking today about uh, assonance and consonants, uh, notice those places where you might make a new word choice. Um, so you're asking yourself, do the words flow together to create the mood or the tone that the poem needs? And notice I didn't say that the poet needs, <laughs> but the poem, the poem needs it. It needs it for the tone, for the spirit of the, of the poem, for, for, for the depth of it. Uh, it needs this, it needs the, the, the words that's going to have the readers connect and, and bring out what you want to, what you want to try, what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And then where, ask yourself, where, where might I use repetition of consonant sounds and vowel sounds across the lines and stanzas in order to brighten the poem and to help the readers connect? Because I, the feeling in a poem is what makes us connect. And I think this is on the screen, this quote by Scott Elledge. Yes. Uh, he says, it's what you hear that makes your heart thump or makes you feel a little giddy in our breath. It's what you hear. Yeah. And so I put these in suggestions in the form of questions because mm -hmm. I think these are the questions that people could keep in their notebooks or you're yeah, working with students and, and ask them uh, to consider them and have them at hand to consider those things. I like that. It's not a checklist. Have three F sounds in your poem, but questions to ask. Uh, Shirley, thank you. It's always a pleasure to see you and to hear you, and especially when we're talking about music or poetry and what makes it work. Um, we're really thankful for your time today. I'm, I'm um, really um, honored that you asked me to be part of this series.
because it will certainly, it certainly um, makes my day special, but it's going to make April Poetry Month very special as well. So thank you very much. Thank you. And now I also want to thank uh, listeners and viewers. So thank you if you have tuned in to the story of the poem with Shirley McPhillips. And if you are new to the writing project, please find your way to our website, nwp.org, and sign up for our monthly newsletter so that you never miss another opportunity for a conversation with Shirley or the other writers and um, teachers who share their talk about craft and writing and teaching. Uh, thank you, everyone. Thanks one more time, Shirley. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. NWP.